Assalamu alaikum everybody, and a very warm welcome to episode 5 of the Samus Somalia show. Hope you guys are having an awesome week. Let's get stuck into it without any more dilly-dallying. So, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you our fifth guest on this show, uh, Robert Shaheen al-Rahman. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you today, Alhamdulillah, how about yourself? Alhamdulillah, very well, yeah, thank pleasure you. Pleasure to um, be on. Good, you're good. Actually, this is, um, I should probably let the audience know that um, you're actually a guest on episode 11 of the Arabic Sam podcast. Yes, is I that was, right? yeah. Cool. So if any of you are interested in that, then please go over and watch that, inshallah. That's available on all different podcast platforms and everything too. So um, just for those who don't know you on this channel yet, because I know obviously we had you as a guest on the Arabic <coughs> Sam channel, but um, do you want to just briefly introduce yourself, inshallah? Briefly that... introduce myself. Okay, well, I'm going to start actually. So um, I'm an um, uh, Alimiya graduate, which mm. means I've studied uh, Islam traditionally. Mm. Uh, I, I was a former blogger. Uh, I'm a curriculum writer by profession, and I'm currently a master's student at the University of Warwick. A cur curriculum writer where? At uh, Suffer Publications, actually. Oh, it's nice, an organisation based in London, although it's catering for um, the Muslim world, really, as mm -hmm. in throughout the English-speaking world nice. uh, for the Muslims. So we write textbooks for uh, children learning Islam. Really and, nice. uh, and, of course, uh, adults and stuff can use it as well. That's really nice. Okay, so, so in this episode, inshallah, the main thing I really wanted to get into was talking about how we pass... Um, language onto our children, sure. and because um, obviously you, you've recently had a had a little girl. Is that right? How, how long ago? Nine months ago. Oh, okay, yeah. may Allah bless her. I mean, may Allah bless her. Um, okay, good. So, so what, what's your background, by the way? Like ethnic background. My ethnic background is Bangladeshi. Okay, yeah, and because um, I was born and raised in Britain. And, uh, and also, and also a resident here in the the greatest uh, town in the UK, Northampton, the heart of England, the yeah. pearl <laughs> of the UK. Alhamdulillah, good. So, um. So okay, so lived it. Were you were you born in Bangladesh though? No, I was born in Northampton General Hospital actually. Oh okay, okay, okay. So, so same place as <laughs> me. Yeah okay. okay, okay, nice. So and also, so your so is your is your wife Bangladeshi as well? Yeah. Okay, good. And and obviously being a person who's interested in the Arabic language and is kind of invested in its um, and its use and preservation among the Muslims, do you kind of do you want? to pass both Bangla and Arabic onto, you, onto your daughter, inshallah? Uh, that is the plan, inshallah. And uh, of course, it's easier said than done. But yes, I think Bangla is obviously important for our identity perspective and many other things. Yeah. And Arabic is also important from a religious sense, and not mm. only from a religious sense, but across the globe. Mm. Uh, considering we're living in a globalized world, uh, it actually unites the Muslims across the world kind of thing. Mm. So I think, yeah, Arabic is pretty important or very I, important. You know, I think like, <clears throat> just, just speaking from personal experience, I, obviously I have two children now, alhamdulillah. I have Yusuf, who you've, you've met, obviously, who's three and a half now. Mm. And um, then Yunus as well. Yeah, he's only, I need to meet him Yeah, well. I know, yeah, yeah. inshallah. He's, he's only like four months old, so we're, we're not really... That language isn't really something that we're sort of thinking about too much, but a real advice I'll give to yourself and anybody out there is really have plans in place as early mm. as possible because it really runs away from you. Like... How early, how, how early would you say is, is uh, early enough to start? Well, well, I would say it's more about that your family having that as a lifestyle mm. within your family. Because if you, if you think, you know, it will start when the child is one, right? Yeah. They're not speaking really at yeah. one, but like yeah. if you think we'll start at one, by then you've got to really kind of change your family dynamic mm. and change your lifestyle and stuff yeah. around it, um, which is really hard to do. Like mm. with, with my son, obviously, like, like I'm, I'm Arabic with Sam. People yeah. would assume that, that my, my son speaks Arabic, but he doesn't really. Because it's really hard to implement that at home. With like my, my wife's best language is sign language. Yeah. Actually, so like my so use of sign language is really good. Obviously, English is really good and understands Somali. And then we kind of encourage active use of Somali as well. Mm. But like li living here in the UK, he doesn't really. There's not the necessity for him to use it. <coughs> like even yeah. all the people who speak Somali to him, yeah. they understand English as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I we, we I really try with my in-laws to say, look, like just pretend you don't understand him when yeah. he speaks English. Like. I don't know how you, like, they're smart enough by the age of three to know that you're just 
Mm. You're just pretending, do you know yeah. what I mean? But 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 it's it's really important to just think about that as a lifestyle before. Hundred percent agree with you. It's such a very uh, relatable within our Bangladeshi communities as mm. well. And um, for example, when we were growing up, uh, we actually had the advantage of growing up bilingual. Mm-hmm. So that later on we became multilingual. All many of us. Uh, we grew up bilingual, speaking Bangla and English simultaneously. Mm. So in the house we'd speak one language, despite our parents being completely fluent in uh, English and being, um, you know, raised in Britain, going to school in Britain. And so everything. you did still speak Bangla, even though you knew your parents. Yeah, not some speaking. Yeah. English. So t- okay. till till today, mm-hmm. I actually speak Bangla with my parents and speak Bangla mm. with my siblings as well, okay. which is not something uh, very common within my generation. Because mm. in my generation, you see everybody speaking English with their brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even with their parents and uncles and aunties and things like that as well. Mm. But um, in my um, my personal family, we actually grew up speaking Bangla at home, mm-hmm. and we spoke English on uh, in school or on you know on social media on the phones and uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, that's basically how we grew up. So how about with like, because I, I was at the barbers the other day. Do you know Brother Mujahid? You, you introduced yeah. me to him. Yeah, yeah, my mashallah. Shout out to Brother Mujahid here oh. in Northampton. Um, like I was, I was, I was in there the other day. He's obviously Bangladeshi, mm. and like some other Bangladeshi brothers came in, and they're they're all English. Yeah. Like, they're not English. They're British. born in Britain. Yeah. They're, they're, they hold British passports, but they were born here, and like mm. they they know mm. this culture, right? Yeah. But they'd still speak Bangla to each other, mm. right? Like. That's that's something that I haven't seen so much in the Somali community so much. Okay, like yeah. I don't know if um I don't know that there's always lots of different dynamics that play into it. Like mm, well, one mm, that I thought mm. would be interesting to run by you is m- with most Somalis that I know, there is an intention to move back to Somalia. Okay. I don't know if that's because the community here are younger yeah. than the Bangladeshi community. Obviously, like what, in what what like the sixties or fifties, whatever the Bangladeshi came 50, Yeah, fifties to seventies. Fifties yeah. to seventies. Yeah. So like that's a bit earlier than Somalis. So I don't know. I don't know if it is just something in the culture that. Mm. That they feel less I would welcome assume. at home here, or if it's just that the community is younger. I'm not yeah. really sure. I'm going to assume it's probably because the community is younger still. Because mm. uh, when you came to our, you know, our parents' generation, uh, especially the older ones and, their, and my grandparents' generation as well, a lot of them, uh, they used to have the same nostalgia as well. That mm. you know, we'd want to go back to Bangladesh and things, die over there, get buried over there with our families and uh, everybody else. But when my generation was growing up, we didn't really have that because this mm. was home for us. Yeah. And this is important not only from a um, you know from a language or linguistic perspective, but even psychologically as well. There's mm-hmm. actually been a lot of uh, studies in education and in psychology and things about identity and how language in our communities, especially when it comes to migrants from one country to another, mm-hmm. how does their language and their religion and you know the communities around them shape their identity? Got it. So in these types of things, you know, it, it has a really big impact and, um, you know, what role does language play in your life kind of thing. Mm. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of studies being that's, done. That's things. interesting, but to, to, think about, to think about what role it plays. Because, you know, recently I, I, I surveyed my whole audience across YouTube, Instagram and Facebook about whether people who, who particularly the Somalis, there's, there's a lot of non-Somalis who follow my work as well, obviously, yeah. but like particularly among the Somalis, whether they're worried that their children growing up in the West, most of my audience in the USA, UK, Canada, and then, and then like Scandinavian countries, whether they're worried about their children not going to grow up speaking Somali. Mm. And like, n- none of them said they don't care if they learn Somali. They all care about mm. their kids growing yeah. up learning Somali. But 85% on average said that they were actively worried about it. And that's interesting. Well, I thought like, well, if you have, if you guys speak Somali, why is it that the, that the kids are? Like, what more do you need? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I, I thought it'd be. I, I thought this is particularly why I wanted to do this yeah, episode because yeah. we could perhaps because obviously you're a person who's in education and stuff as well. That maybe we could talk a bit about. Well, what's the what's the gap then? Like, what what why is it that parents aren't passing their language onto their kids? And I I thought is it fundamentally a problem with our families? 
Um, I'm, I don't really think it's uh, it's as simple as that. I think it's multi-layered. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I actually, I'm not sure if you know, I used to work for a Somali, uh, a Somali brother. Okay. So in, in, in tuition, after school tuition. Mm -hmm. And um, so I actually learned quite a, uh, quite a little bit about Somali culture and um, family backgrounds and things like that mm -hmm. from him. Mm -hmm. And one thing I noticed is he raised his children speaking English. Mm -hmm. yeah? So they, they can understand Somali, but uh, they're, they're not necessarily so... Uh, confident in speaking it, or mm. actively using it. Yeah. So I, I, I asked him once, you know, why don't you speak to them completely in Somali? Mm -hmm. yeah, because it's not like they're going to suffer from English because yeah. you're growing up in England, you're going to school in England, you're not going to suffer from it. Mm -hmm. So he said to me, it's actually a bit more complicated than that. Now he's an adult, he's a parent, uh, and I'm teaching his children and things like that. So one thing that really hit me at that time, because sometimes what happens is if, you, if you're going to enforce Somali, or in our case, Bangla or something, uh, alone, without any English involved, then what happens is you can compromise or you can sabotage your relationship with the children. Mm. That if there's something going on at school, there's some kind of bullying going on, something else happened, the teacher was unfair with you, or whatever's happened, yeah. and you come home and you don't know those same vocabulary to talk about emotion, to talk about bullying, to talk about mm. these modern-day Western issues, as we'd call them. Yeah. And the kind of vocabulary we're used to in Bangla or Somali or any other language, it doesn't really cater for those that, that type mm. of a context. So these children would come home and they wouldn't say anything, or the, or you could tell visibly they're upset, and the parents would say, you know, what's wrong with you? Can you tell us that's, something happened? That's at a school? much more complex and interesting issue. It is, yeah. So I, I, sure. I knew, heard of this a few years ago myself when mm. I was working in in um, in the tuition centre. So he was saying at that particular time, he's like, you have to make a decision. Mm. Do I want to raise them in Somali, but at the same time uh, distance myself from them potentially? Mm. Or should I let them speak English to me? Mm. But at least they're open with me. At least we have a good father and a relationship. Mm. Did Did you find that issue with with Bangla though? Like, did, did you find you could communicate with your parents about all the kind of things that you would in English? You let's be honest, you can't. Okay. Yeah, you can't, and it's not because um, of you know a deficiency within either of the languages per se, but it's about the um, the exposure we have to the languages. Mm -hmm. So we come from a rural background in Bangladesh. It's not an educated, um, you know, urban society. Mm -hmm. Whereas in English, you probably grew up in the villages in Long Buckby, but we grew up in, in an urban, yeah. you know, Northampton. You know, it's pretty much a city, although yeah, technically yeah. it's a town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very multicultural, very, you know, uh, middle class or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Although we're not middle class, but sure. the town's middle class. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the, the types of issues you go through is not the same thing mm. that you talk to your parents about. You might talk to your friends about, you might talk to relatives about, but you wouldn't really talk to your parents about because there is a generational gap. Mm. That's one big thing uh, uh, as it is because my parents were first generation or second gener generation, depends how you want to look at it, weary the second or third generation yeah. growing up in, in the UK. So our problems are different, our situations are different. The kind of things we were going through in school is very different. Mm. We grew up in a technological world mm -hmm. and um, we grew up in the post 9-11 world as well. Yeah, yeah because 9-11 uh, happened when I was in year five in school. Yeah. yeah. So after that, the landscape in the UK just completely changed, mm. especially after 7-7, everything completely changed. Mm. So even religiously speaking as well, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of people who came from illiterate backgrounds, mm. like you know, a lot of our grandparents or ancestors, they couldn't read or write. Got it. Yeah, they couldn't read or write. That's or, the same with most Somalis, by the way. Yeah. yeah, so if they came from illiterate backgrounds, then your religion is basically an oral tradition, yeah. somewhat. And then when you come into England, you've got a lot more of a literate background. Mm. You're educated, you can read and write, you can access uh, literature, you've, you're living in a globalised world, you've got the mm. internet around you, uh, you've got so many different types of people around you, it's multicultural. Mm. Your learning is very different. 
So your attitude towards religion would be very different. That's a really good point. Your attitude towards, and, and those types of things have a deep sentimental value to your culture, to your identity. Mm. So you might have a clash of culture versus religion. You might have a clash of a, a generation change. Mm. You might have a clash of so many other things. Mm. So that's where, if you look at youngsters today, you think, where does the role of language, or what role does language have in your life? Mm. For some people, it might be important. I want to stay connected with my roots because if if I don't know where I came from, how do I know which direction I'm heading? Mm. Whereas others would think, hold on a minute, what's the point in me learning Bangla or Somali when it doesn't have any practical significance in my life? That's a really good point about kind of having the different languages. Not you know, usually when we think about different languages, people who maybe don't learn languages themselves always yeah. think that they're just. They're just the same information, but with different words. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's really not that. No, no, do you know what I mean? Like, like, like as you're saying about the experience that kind of you guys have growing up here in the UK. And let's face it, like most most Muslim immigrants mm. grow up in cities and yeah. stuff like their urban environment. And most of them actually have come from rural environments yeah. back home as yeah. well. So not only is it a completely different time, but but even like geographically, it's completely yeah. different as and, well. And um, philosophically as well, your your worldview can be very different. Of course, different. If, you, if you come from a rural background. Yeah. If you come from a poverty for background or farming and things mm. like that, the values that your families will have mm. will be very different from those living in, in, in urban societies. Mm. The types of things you value, mm. it won't be the same. So does that mean though that because our environment's changed and we've kind of learned English for the environment that we live in, does that does that does that relegate the importance of learning these learning sort of quote unquote like back home languages? No, I don't think so. Um, because there are other things that learning English in an urban society uh, you know, it, 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 it let you access, um, you know, a lot of the things that we need in this world today in the, in the 21st century Britain. Mm. Yeah. You can access the internet, you can access literature, you can go to university, you can get in, go into the corporate world, get a you know, fancy job and whatever. But there are other things that you're not going to get. Yeah. For example, understanding a rural lifestyle, understanding empathy with others. Mm -hmm. Instead of having a, um, you know, a nine to five work life where it's all about let me just make my money, pay the bills and go into that kind of life. Mm you won't be able to um, appreciate what what people in the rural world went through and what they continue to go through. Mm. So do you have empathy with others? Can you, uh, can you relate to other people going through different things? Can you actually appreciate uh, a different worldview altogether? Yeah. Or do you think, no, everybody sh should be thinking the same way I'm thinking? Why are they doing silly things in different countries for? It doesn't actually work like that. That's really important. So th I think this is, be because this is actually quite deep and it's very... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a profound concept. Mm. That's why a lot of uh, youngsters, I think when we're growing up, we can have this uh, identity crisis. That who am I? Well, mm. What am I doing here? Mm -hmm. uh, not what am I doing here in, a, in, in that kind of a sense, but like how much of me is Bangladeshi and how much of me is British? Mm. Yeah. And this goes back to psychological identities. A good book on this, a, a decent book on this, is um, Aminul Haq in, in London. Okay. Uh, Gold, I think it's Goldsmiths or something in um, University of London. Mm -hmm. So not Sawas, but uh, the other one. Our rivals, <laughs> our <Yeah>. worst enemies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he, he, he's a lecturer there actually. Okay. So he's, he's a Bangladeshi himself. He grew up, in, he was born in Bangladesh, grew up in England, East, East, East London. He's mm -hmm. actually, uh, his PhD research was on six uh, East End Bangladeshi youngsters, 17 year olds, and watched them grow up. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to them about everything to do with their identities and things like that, and yeah. documented all of that. So, that research has been uh, published in a book called uh, British Islamic Identity okay. Third Generation Bangladeshi from East London. Mm. So, there it's very accessible, and, and he talked, there's so many things going on there. He's actually got a video on YouTube about it as well, okay. and there's a card in article and things. But that book is actually really important for the kind of things that we're discussing right now. Yeah, yeah. So, where you've got a spectrum of diff different types of people, what do different things mean? Uh, you know, what does 
your identity mean to you? What does mm. Bangla mean to you? And how does it shape who you are? If, really if, if at all, if at all. If, if I can, if I can bring you back to to what you're saying about um, parents with their children here in the UK, you would probably want to keep. You probably want like like with the, with the Somali um, brother that you're talking about who who chose to speak English with his children. The reason why I kind of led you down the path of, of whether that is the case with, with, with Bangla is because I wondered if when you grow up speaking Bangla, you have access to more, um, you know, you, there, there are more movies that are in Bangla. There are probably more series that are in Bangla. There's probably more TV that's available in Bangla and stuff. Like, there's not tons. Like, there's way yeah. more in Hindi, yeah, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. like, but there would be kind of that, that stuff available in Bangla that maybe in Somali there isn't quite the same amount, whereas you might be exposed to that kind of language growing up speaking Bangla. But like, you know, to, to watch Somali TV channels, firstly, there aren't so many of them. Yeah. And also like, you know, like the, the, the things that are there, the, like there's lots of news channels and stuff, but there aren't a yeah, lot of like, yeah. there aren't a lot of kind of things that children would access and have characters that they relate to. Mm -hmm. Like in the English language, it's full of it. Yeah, it's full of like, it. Like there's full, it's full of stuff on the TV or in books or whatever. Like books is another big one, right? Like, Ar like, Arabic is getting there as well. Yeah, Arabic's getting there, right? Like English has it, where there's loads of characters and stuff that kids will relate to and yeah. they'll, they'll build that language that they need. But there isn't really that in Somali. So I wanted to know about if that was the case in Bangla as well. Now you see, when it comes to Bangla, um, a, a lot of non-Bangalis might think it's one big language, mm. yeah, but it doesn't actually work like that. Mm. We've got several different dialects, just like in Arabic, where yeah. you have you have Fasih, or Fusha mm. is, is your official language. Mm -hmm. And then you've got different, you know, Derija in Morocco, you've got a, you know, yeah. Amir, you've got some type, type of thing going on. In Bangla, we've got the official um, Bangla, which is called Cholito Basha, it's called mm. Dakhi, from the, which uh, they speak in Dakha mainly, yeah. in the capital city. We're actually from the northeast of Bangladesh called uh, Silet, yeah. or, or around that region. Mm -hmm. So we have a northeastern dialect. Yeah. And in the UK, most uh, Bangladeshi migrants in the UK speak Sileti. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those who speak Dakhai um, either went to France or they went to America or other types of places. Mm -hmm. But in the UK, the majority uh, speak Sileti. Yeah. So in, the, in that respect, we do have TV channels. Mm -hmm. But again, as you said, most of them are either news channels mm -hmm. or, you know, they're, they're for adults. They have a chat show like yeah, this yeah, yeah. Or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the news channels will always be in formal Bangla, mm -hmm. which, let's be honest, nobody really understands. Or if, if okay. You can tell, yes, it's our language, but you just completely don't know what's going on. You, know? let alone, you, like, you might not know what's going on, but let alone relate to it. Yeah, like, let yeah, alone yeah, relate yeah, to the yeah, people. Yeah, it's true like formal. Bear in yeah. mind, uh, what did I say about where we came from is a rural, illiterate background, yeah, yeah. uneducated background. Mm -hmm. And news channels are very formal, they're overly formal, mm. they're very professional. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's almost like a class gap as well. Mm. But, and do, do you think that, do you think in a way, because there is like a formal bangla, mm. do, you think that, do you think that in a way is, has actually slowed down people who, um, pe people who might speak like a Sileti Bangla, like b because they can't ac access that main media. Because the reason why I ask is because like in Somali, mm. um, there has been an attempt to kind of standardize Somali. Okay. Like, there are a lot of different dialects and stuff, yeah. and like like the way people speak in the south is really different yeah. to how people speak yeah. in Somaliland and Puntland and stuff. But like there has been an attempt to kind of um, standardize Somali using a northern dialect mm. because, I mean, cities in the north like Hargeisa and stuff they do have more stability yeah. and stuff than places in the south. But the rest of the country said, nah, they just use whatever they want still. Like even like the grammar books and stuff yeah. that are written by people in the south, yeah. they heard that people were standardising Somali in the north and they were like, 
Nah. Okay. So still all the media outlets that are in the south and stuff, they'll still use those dialects. So it looks like Somali is quite primitive still in terms of its uh, development and form formalising... Well, you can't uh, say primitive because of the... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's, 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 I know exactly what you mean, yeah. though. But yeah, it's yeah. obviously an ancient language. There's a very um, rich tradition behind yeah, and, 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 and Yeah, well, obviously, obviously what you mean is that it's, it's in its early stages of, right, of, of, development. of being standardised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bangla has already been standardised as, okay. as it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got literature in there, all these types yeah. of things. However, you know, British Bangladeshis won't be accessing, accessing any of that. Mm. At most, we'll be able to read, you know, little bits here and there. Take about 10 minutes to read a page or something. <laughs> okay, yeah. And um, you might, you know, be able to write your name and those types of things. But um, in terms of children's uh, TV shows, we don't. I, I don't recall seeing any children's TV no, shows. No, no, no. What we yeah. did have you know, uh, growing up, and maybe there are more coming out here and there, but of course I'm not uh, mm. too aware of it anymore. But we did have some um, selected dramas, like mm. sitcoms kind of thing, but just one-off dramas. Mm. Uh, we call it natoch in, in, in Sileti. Mm -hmm. uh, it just means drama. Okay. So those types of things, when they came out, mm. it, it just goes viral across the Bangladeshi <laughs> community yeah. because it, it's our language, mm. it's, it's, it's our kind of community as well, where yeah. it, it'll be like East End in London or, or somewhere like that, maybe mm. Birmingham or something. And it's British Bangladeshi talk, growing up and talking about their identities and things, mm. the differences they have with their parents, and then a double life they might be li uh, living, and those types of things. Like if somebody gets involved in drugs, but they don't want their brothers and sisters or their parents to know about it, then they'll show all of that in, in a, you know, it, it just the same things that you're going to find in a Hollywood film mm. or something, I guess. But um, I, I like the idea that you're talking about, about having um, visual or, or, or audio-based uh, learning platforms, mm. not necessarily in terms of learning the language, but having an immersive experience through mm. TV or film or something, mm. uh, regardless of whether we think it's right or wrong or something. And you, you pointed out Hindi as well. Mm. So Hindi is a good example because many of um, our Bangladeshi communities know Hindi. That's why I mentioned that. Yeah. the reason they know Hindi is not because we've got anything to do with India. <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with, you know, mm. um, Bangladesh speaking Hindi or anything. Mm. It's purely because of Bollywood yeah, yeah. and purely because of um, uh, not just Bollywood films, but also because of uh, TV sitcoms and dramas mm -hmm. and things. Mm -hmm. So if they can do that with Hindi, it's fair enough, it's, a, it's got similar grammar structures and things like mm -hmm. that, but you can pick it up over a few years mm -hmm. and people will get obsessed and just immerse themselves in this type of uh, literature, if you want to call it visual mm -hmm. literature. Um, and I think we could do the same thing with Arabic. Yeah. But with Bangla, not, maybe not so much because we don't have that much content out there. Mm. Apart from nowadays, you are having a lot more, you know, skits and sketches on, on Instagram and, you know, yeah, YouTubers yeah. and things well, like no, that. But, but I'm saying that there should be more of an effort to create it. Yeah. You know, like if, if countries that have, you know, a, a, a lot of their people have gone to live in Western countries, if mm. they have any dream of them coming back one day, yeah. I think they should invest in ways that people who live in those countries can preserve those oh, languages. Oh, 100%, there. 100%. You know, that's, that's, that's a big It takes part. a lot of funding, though. No, it does, it does, it really does. But, like, but th that country should be invested in it. And if, if our parents here, if we're invested in our kids, having the option, even if they choose yeah. not to, to move back one day, like I generally find among Bangladeshis, they don't seem to have much of a plan to. But, yeah. like, among Somalis, it's but really Our, our elders did. Yeah, yeah, but got it. That's a good point here, that you we, made, yeah. We didn't, because we think, hold on, we grew up here, mm. we're going to stay here, why are we yeah, going to go somewhere yeah. else for? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like that, like the, the example with Hindi and with like Bollywood, that's a really clear example, though, of just, yeah. if you have enough stimulus, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, in, in books, or in this case, obviously, film, mm. then, then then that just bridges the gap, doesn't yeah. it? But that just isn't available in a lot of mm. other languages. Mm. It, does, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have an active command over the language, mm. but you can point. passively understand it. You that's can, a good point. Yeah. 
So when uh, I've seen Bangladeshis when they speak Hindi, and you just you laugh at them here <laughs> because of um, you, the accent mm. will be way off and the mm. grammar will be way off. But they yeah. can at least they can communicate. Mm. Yeah, they can communicate. But usually they uh, adopt a bit of a mafia style language. Right. It's like you know why, why try to um, have that. <laughs> what kind do of they become like Bollywood villains? Uh, kind they, of. They, 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 they <laughs> have funny. that. You, you know, you you you'll, you'll go to a um, uh, you know a chicken shop or something. I don't know, and you get it. Yeah. And um, you know, over there in the Desi culture, we ha- we kind of uh, I'm sure it's the same in Arab culture as well. You have to bargain with them. Mm. Yeah, in England you don't do that. Yeah, mm. you you don't go go to a shop in you know Asda or something and say oh, it's ten <laughs> ten ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. Just get, give me eight ninety nine. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. But in England, in those kind of communities where you know you know the shop owner will be uh, f- from you know the subcontinent as well, mm. people do do that. Mm. So when they speak to them and trying to bargain and they're trying to speak Hindi or Urdu or something, which mm. is very similar, it is the same language uh, essentially, mm. but just uh, uh, it, they're written differently. But the way they communicate, it just, it just reminds you of Bollywood or something. Mm. What way try to imitate that for? Well, but I guess that's the only exposure they've had to the language. Do, um, because obviously, I, like, I know with a lot of our, our Arab brothers and sisters, like, there's a lot of kind of Arab weekend schools and stuff here in the UK, like, especially yeah. in London. Yeah. Like, like when we I have one to, in Northampton as well. Really? What, like, for, for Arabs? Like an Arab I, one? I, yeah, I think we do. Okay, cause I, cause I'm, I'm not sure how active it is. I, I've, I've never known of that for Somali. By the way, where people because at these like at these we have Arab... tons of them in in uh, Bangla. By the way, oh really? Okay. Well, it, we did uh, okay. at least about fifteen years ago. Okay. We did. Yeah. Now we still have them, but mm. I think it's naturally gone along. Because it seems like the kind of education that Arabs get when they go to these weekend schools is actually quite good for the language. Yeah. Like it, it sounds like they mess around a lot and they're badly behaved and stuff. But like, <laughs> but, but at least like, they come out of it with like a decent command of Arabic. Yeah. You know, now, to... with with Arabic because it's a living language because mm. it's uh, it's a lot more relevant not only from a cultural perspective but also. Uh, it's religiously yeah, used yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah. and you can't really detach the religion from the Arab culture anyway. Mm. Yeah, um, you can you can you could strip Arab culture from the religion, but you can't really strip the religion from Arab culture necessarily. Mm. Yeah, but in Bangla we don't really have that mm. because, like we said, the the formal um, literary Bangla is not what we speak. Mm. So we'll go to Bangla school, you know, at you know ten o'clock on a Saturday or something, mm-hmm. and everyone's messing around. Mm. Or you just go to the water dispenser. Oh, there's a water dispenser. Let's get some water. Mm. You're just messing around mm. really, and you have to learn the the alphabet. Yeah. Uh, and you have, you know, you have to start reading um, yeah. certain sentences and the things. But once you're reading those sentences, you don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> well, we don't have a clue what's yeah. going on. I'm sure other people do because yeah. you know it depends on who their teachers are. Are there is their pedagogy in, in you know are they using the right me- uh, methods of teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really have that. We, we no. just got told you read it like this. This is the vowel. This is the consonants. Mm. You read it, yeah. and you just have to read it without knowing, without having a clue what's going on. Mm. So you won't really have that attachment with what you're learning. Mm. So even now, after so many years, I still can't read a Bangla in that in that sense. Yeah. But if I see a post or something, I might be I might try to read it. Just mm. look at it. But it'll take me a while to figure things out yeah. because. I'll read it like a child, basically. Mm. Yeah, but with Arabic, that's not the case because you will understand what you're, what yeah, you're learning. Yeah. Whether you speak the formal dialect or not is irrelevant because when one once once the teachers teach uh, Arabic, they will teach the meanings of those words and those sentences and um, apply it to the culture and whatever mm. else is going on. But we don't have that in Bangla. Is there um in in Bangla is there um are people ever very protective of their dialect? Like, like for example, will, pe- will, ever, will people ever make a case for that the dialect of Bangla that they speak is correct and like correct people who use another kind of another no, kind gra- of grammar Nazis? Does, kind of yeah, like, does that exist in like dialects of um, Bangla? I'm not really so sure to be honest. Possibly, but mm. uh, what I have seen in the, there's actually a couple of things I'd want to mention here, but, and there's a reason why I don't think we're as as um, as rigid on it. Yeah, mm. but it's because of the bigger history with with West Pakistan. 
Uh, and we'll get to that in a bit, actually, because of the language movement. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, um, you know, British Bangladeshis, we don't really have that because within our Sileti dialect, each little village is speaking, you know, with slightly different rules and things anyway. Even yes. from village to village? Yeah, okay. it's, you, it's mutually intelligible. You mm -hmm. can understand everything what's going on, yeah, yeah. but you, you'll speak in, you, with your own, um, in, in your own little way. Right. Know? And um, you'll see this thing, you'll see this with masjid imams, you'll see this with, you know, friends who come from different villages, you'll see this at, you know, university or elsewhere. Every, everywhere you go, you'll find people who are, they are Sileti, they are Bangladeshi, and you can understand them, mm -hmm. but they, they just have slightly different vocabulary. Okay. Yeah. But that's just region to region or, or, mm. or village to village, you know, these things sometimes that Sometimes I feel like with Somali, that, that kind of holds Somali back a little bit. Like it kind of puts people on edge of, around creating Somali language resources. Because like even for me, I just have to muscle through a lot of it. Like in, in my Instagram, like a little while ago. Why don't you create it? <laughs> what, what, something... Like, I, I'm going to share with you a, a little idea that I have. I'm, I'm going to run it by you, inshallah, because I, I think that there is something... Um, I think that there is something that I could create, which um, which, which could bridge some of the gap, maybe, yeah. inshallah. But something, like, something I was going to say is, um, like, even, like, like the Somali word that you know, right? What's the Somali word you know? I know quite a few Somali words. Oh, actually. do you? Yeah. What, what about the cardamom pod, though? The cardamom pod. Um, it's a hell. Hell, yeah. Okay, yeah. so hell is sometimes spelled H-E-E-L, as in, like, hell. hell yeah. And then sometimes, like, I've, I've read various recipes and stuff that speak H-E-Y-L. And... And even other times it's been like hail with like H-A-I-L. So there's like three different spellings of it. But people will sometimes message me aggressively and correct me on it. Like even, like for, for coffee, I've seen about 11 different spellings for that. Mm -hmm. But like, but really I, I just I just plead with the Somali community to say like, look, we're in a situation where that isn't the problem. Yeah. Like whether you spell qahwa or kahwa, that is the, that's not the problem right now. Mm. It's all Somali and it all works. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that, that actually brings me back to the language movement that mm. happened in uh, before Bangladesh was became Bangladesh in 1971. Mm. Uh, we actually, um, East Pakistan mm. and, and West Pakistan, which is today's Pakistan. And before that, of course, it was the whole thing was India, but we don't need to go that far back. Now, what happened was, um, we don't really want to get into the politics of it because it's, it's quite political, but what happened was um, uh, the, the general who was in charge of uh, West Pakistan mm -hmm. wanted to impose Urdu, the, the, um, the Fran lingua franca of Pakistan, mm -hmm. basically, upon the whole of Pakistan, yeah. uh, despite the Bengali speakers being more, as in they were the majority. Yeah. So okay. I, th I think it was about more than 55% or yeah, something. Yeah. I can't remember exactly the statistics. But they were Bangla speakers. Mm -hmm. And even though Urdu was quite dominant, but it's not more dominant than Bangla, mm -hmm. and he wanted to impose Bang uh, Urdu. Uh, Urdu onto Got it. onto the whole of Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. So that created a bit of a re um, re you know, revolt kind of thing. You think, hold on a minute, why are you getting a bit nationalistic for all these, all, all these mm -hmm. types of things happened? So eventually what happened is the Bangladeshis united on that, despite, and this is a big lesson to learn, despite all these uh, different dialects we've got, despite mm. all the variations we've got, mm. Bang the Bengali community united on that, mm -hmm. and they defended the need to maintain Bangla as a language, and they uh, they basically revolted against Pakistan and things. That's and, really interesting. And we had a, um, there was a civil war and things going on, mm and it eventually became Bangladesh. And mm. people don't understand what Bangladesh means. It's not just a random word. Bangla is the language and Desh means country. Okay. So it's the country wow, where we speak Bangla. Wow, So that's why um, a lot of uh, Bangladeshis, you'll find if uh, you know, certain types of communities might want to impose Urdu mm. onto Bangladeshi students today. Mm. Yeah? And you've, you, they, we, we tend to feel a bit hesitant about it or not hesitant, I'll, I'll, I think um, 
there's a certain level of uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what the words are here, but you will feel a bit of ghayra yeah, mm. for Bangla because we don't want Bangla to get wiped out, mm. especially because our ancestors and the, and their you know relatives and uh, other people fought in the yeah. war. But for this case, for those who don't know, for those who don't know what ghayra is, it's, it's you're just protective over yeah. it really. That, that's not the whole meaning. There's there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah. To, it, it's yeah, just just to, a little, little, little bit of a, um, being a little bit of a grammar Nazi. It's actually ghayra. Not yeah, sorry, sorry, ghayra. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. So ghayra is actually um, mm. a type of food or something. Oh, okay, it's a type <laughs> okay. of ration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that Arab world. But it's ghayra with a fatha on the ghayra. Yeah, yeah, ghayra. So ghayra means. It's it's when you have a certain level of jealousy, mm. uh, but not in a bad way. It's it's when you feel protective uh, over something that belongs to you, and mm. somebody else is trying to use up your right. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's, it's important we explain this concept. It, it, yeah, yeah. The yeah. word gets um, used a lot, but a lot mm. of people don't really. Explain or, or even it. or even just just in case. Like just in case people hear it with the with, with men having it over their women, yeah. right? It's, it's, in that case, it's not that like you own them necessarily. But you have a responsibility. Not ownership, over but them. but they are they are yours. Uh, yeah. As as in somebody else shouldn't go around yeah, looking exactly. at yeah, them, yeah, talking yeah. to them, or getting a bit yeah, too giggly yeah. with them. Is a hold on a minute. You need to watch your space. Mm. This is for me to you know. Um, this is our space. We're going to protect this, and we're going to have a sense of. A, a sense of jealousy over them, mm. not in a, not in a bad sense of jealousy that I think I'm going to lose them, mm. but I need to protect them from yeah, being yeah. used and abused by yeah, yeah. other things yeah, or yeah. other people, uh, and it doesn't only apply to um, um, people or mm. women or things. It applies to many other things. In this case, language. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so um, we tend to feel a bit of a ghaira about it. Now, sometimes you'll hear a lot of um, you know people getting into pseudo linguistics kind of thing, saying, "Oh, you know, even if Urdu was imposed onto Bangladesh, it's not like Bangla would die." Because you'll have, you know, you still have Punjabi um, around today. You still have uh, Hinko around. You still have many other languages. Mm -hmm. Why would, why do you think Bangla would be wiped out for? But th there's actually a lot more deeper levels behind that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when it comes to dead languages, languages have died across the world. Yeah, in New Zealand they speak English now, and their local uh, language that they had, I can't remember what it's called. Maori. Yeah, so that is considered a dead language. Mm. Yeah, it's not extinct. It's still around, mm. but it's uh, it's around in a way that's not living anymore. Mm. Yeah. So the reason that happens, or the, the, the one of the biggest ways languages die effectively, is when a, a another language which is considered more prestigious, mm. it has more prestige, takes over it. Yeah, yeah. Then people are they feel a bit of an inferiority complex and try to take yeah, the superior. Yeah. No, it's what, it's a step to it being relegated into dying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the same in Cornwall. Like yeah. we have a language Cornish, Cornish yeah. down in Cornwall, but nobody speaks it anymore. No. I mean, really, it's it's like the the use of it is just more tokenistic, really. And that, that's the same with Maori. Like I, I I went to school in New Zealand for a little while. Did, did you know that by the no. way? No. Okay. Well, well, like when we go, we, we have to learn a hacker and stuff. Like, you know what the New Zealand rugby team do and stuff? Like, you have, like, a school hacker and different areas have their own hackers and stuff. But it's really tokenistic. Like, the hacker has words that are in Māori. Mm. But, like, people aren't... Even the Māoris themselves, a lot of the time, might, might not know it or use okay. it. You know, but, but that's the same with the Cornish, mm. right? Like, there are Cornish people who have been there for thousands of years who don't speak it. But, um, you still need to do your video about the Cornish king who wrote Yeah, I know, I know. I, I recorded, like, a little one-minute thing I put on Instagram. Yeah, okay, okay. But, um... But I, I will do that sometime yeah. because, um, yeah, for, the, for those of you guys who aren't sure what we're referring to, like, there, there's something really fascinating, like a few hundred years ago, where um, a particular king in Cornwall wrote some praise of the Prophet Muhammad in some of his poetry. And it's, it's really fascinating, yeah. isn't it? I'm, I am excited to share it with them. But, um, but I, think, uh, I, think I, wanted to, I think I wanted to say about, um, about the role that language has. Yeah. You know, and a, kind of a big, a big part of why I do the Sam of Somalia thing. Like a lot of people would be perfectly right to think, why do you care yeah. about the preservation of Somali? Mm. Like, obviously, I'm obviously not Somali, right? Yeah. I'm not really invested in... Really? It's, it's <laughs> not, yeah, really, really, you're not Somali. But, like, 
but for me, for like obviously, obviously, I've mentioned my wife's best language is sign language. Yeah. Right. Like, like I don't want to share all the details, but like my wife suffers with hearing loss, and like so, so her Somali has suffered. Mm. So I do kind of see it as a person who loves languages myself an opportunity to take my children's Somali language learning on myself in mm. many ways because you've got to bear in mind like my family aren't Muslims as well, and. And, and we also want the option to move to a Muslim-majority country yeah. one day. Just to have the option. We may choose not to, or we yeah. may choose to do it and realise it's not right and come back. Yeah. But we want to have the option open. Mm. And, and, and that is a big part of the importance of the Somali language in my family. Yeah. Because, like, really, the Somali language, I see it as, like, the chain that really connects my future generations yeah. to Islam and yeah. back to a Muslim-majority yeah. country. Yeah. So, like, that's a huge part of it for me. Mm. Like, yeah. like, really, like, a it lot of... It goes back to identity afterwards, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, identity, but then also just what, what you want for your future generations yeah. as well. You know, because the language that you know massively influences your your worldview. your worldview. Because, you know, recently, like, recently, I was, I was telling Asher about... But, by the way, uh, brother Asher's sitting over there. He was a guest last week on the um on the on the on the Sam Somalia show. But um, you should, did you watch that episode? By the way, no. Did you listen to it? It's quite a cool episode about his company. But but anyway, I won't spill the beans too much. They go back and watch it themselves. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? I lost I lost track. There. Um, Were you listening to me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> going back to almost the majority country and things like that. Okay, yeah, going back to almost the majority country. Um, um. Yeah, that's what we're saying, wasn't it? So, so it's kind of what you want for your future generations, isn't mm. it? And that's you know that, that's a big part of why. Like my, my, the Samuel Somalia channel is basically me just letting people watch me. Yeah, <laughs> try to le- try to learn Somali. Like that, that's really good because that has that has an uh, an organic feel to it. Because mm. when it comes to language learning, a lot of people think you have to take it in a very linear way. Mm. We learn this rule, you learn these words, and then you do some practices. But when 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 you go through a journey. That, that's really what a language learning is, is a journey in itself. Mm. It has to be organic. Mm. It, has to, it, it doesn't really follow a system. Mm. Uh, you have to use a system to go through it, mm. but your own journey that you're documenting mm. would, be, would be natural and organic to mm. you. And that's all when you document that, uh, you're naturally going to get you know, 25,000 subscribers. You know, here's, here's something that I, that I want to run by you, which is interesting. It kind of goes against uh, us people who, are, who quite like... Like, I like in my head to idealise education a little bit. I like the idea of sitting at the feet of a scholar yeah. and then learning from them. But something I've realised with this YouTube channel is that, like, like if you look at the different Somali language resources in the world, like there are online courses out there, there are books out there, um, there are teachers who teach online, but, but I believe that I'm probably the most effective in the world. And I'm not Somali <laughs> and I'm not a teacher, yeah. right? But that's exactly the point, right? Because people, the way people learn now is different. Like, our, the, the, way that, the way that we learn... Our education system has pretty much stayed the same yeah. for thousands of years, but we've changed mm. so much now. And like, you know, when people get to come on and come on a journey with me and experience it with me, it's like people are learning behind their own back. Like people think they're just watching bumbling Nina Adan speaking Somali, right? <laughs> but 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 they're actually learning Somali in the background. You know, so it's it's like. It's like so sometimes when you read a book, when you watch a movie or something, like you sometimes learn a lot about the culture of the yeah. country that movie is in, yeah. but you're not watching it for that reason. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's subconscious. I, I remember one of, the, one, of the first, one of the first like novels I ever read was The Kite Runner. Have, yeah. have you heard of that? Yeah. Like Khaled Hosseini, I think. Yeah, the, Khaled Hosseini. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like all of his books are set in Afghanistan. Yeah. And like I realised after reading it how much I knew about Afghanistan. Like, but I wasn't reading it because I cared about yeah, Afghanistan yeah, yeah. or anything like that. It's the same thing with many of us with uh, with uh, American culture as well, especially those of us who have never been to America. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know pretty much everything about, or yeah. quite a lot <laughs> yeah, about America yeah. just because of sitcoms and films yeah, and dramas yeah. and, and news and social media and everything else. And uh, especially those who were into, you know, who have been involved in watching Bollywood and things, you'll be aware of um, a lot of 
well, that might not be as representative, but you will learn mm. a lot of things about, you know, the Indian culture and things like that as well. That's so interesting. It, it, it's just, uh, it, it's natural. And this is what we were going back to you about learning these things through experience. Then mm. If you're talking about sitting at the feet of a scholar, that will only be done in a formal setting when you have a formal, uh, you know, reason mm. to, to formalise your education. And the students need to be motivated as well anyway, which, yeah. is, a, which is a big well, difference. A lot, a lot of time when it comes to learning culture, when it comes to learning uh, these types of things, or, or not, not learning language, but uh, excelling in your language mm. or, or improving your language, mm. uh, you wouldn't really do that in a formal setting. There has mm. to be informal immersion. Mm. And the way you would do that is by reading literature or watching videos and those types of things. Mm. So I think um, pedagogically speaking, in terms of me methods of learning and teaching, mm. uh, one important uh, aspect that we learn from the Sunnah actually, from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, from the Qur'an as well, uh, is the Qur'an actually uh, emphasizes an experiential learning, mm. yeah, an experiential learning where you That's go really out, you go out, كُلْسِيرُ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَانْظُرُوا كَيْفَ كَانَ عَقِبَةُ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ Travel in the world and see what what happened, uh, mm. uh, you know, in the people around you. Faatabiruyaulilabsar is another mm. one. Take a lesson of people with insight. Mm. And if you look at the rest of the ayah, it was an incident that actually happened. So that particular incident, why did it happen? What happened there? And Allah is telling us, mm. learn from these types of events around us. Mm. So it has a very experiential type of approach where you have to reflectively engage with what's yeah. going on around you. And that happens more so informally than it does formally. Mm. Because education, I don't believe education is something that's passively received from a teacher. Mm -hmm. If anything, the teacher will be there to um, uh, help you engage critically and reflectively engage with something. Mm. And it's your journey that you go about in your growth, in your personal development and in your learning. Mm. Which is why in, in, in the Islamic terminology, what do we call uh, learning? We call mm. it talabul ilm. Mm. Seeking knowledge. Yeah. We don't call it husulul mm. the acquisition of yeah, knowledge. Yeah. We call it talab. You have to actively go and seek it. Mm -hmm. So that happens in various different ways. So a learner is somebody who will actually, who will, uh, I'm not going to say self taught. Mm. In, in a lot of the Western contexts, they say self taught, which is not always the case. Mm. But they are self motivated, mm. where you will go and learn yourself. You will find a teacher and want to learn from him. Mm. You will find books to read. You will find, you will look for videos to watch. Mm. You will go to, um, you know, different towns and cities or even countries to engage with people you know of uh, of various skill sets i always wondered why perhaps you can you can help me with this with my arabic inshallah like i always wondered why i remember like even even when like teaching children arabic with like more simple words you learn this verb darasa which we really need to study right and then but we we learn the word taliban for a student right mm. well why do we not say a daris well, is a daris another thing? That is well, not really. But um, I've never you, heard it. Say, but... You could say mutadaris, but okay. I think that's very rarely used. Yeah. And that's why a teacher is called uh, muallim, but you mm. call him mudarris as but, well. Like, like I'm, I'm kind of asking if it's if it's embedded in the Islamic understanding of learning that yeah. we do talaba. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's really interesting. Yeah, because um, the word darasa doesn't actually mean to study. It, it does mean to study, but um, linguistically speaking, it means to wipe something away. So you say Atharun mm. set. I'm not sure if you've um, heard that somewhere. You, when you have ruins from, let's say, an ancient civilization, and you've got uh, they've got remnants of their land, mm -hmm. so these are ruins that are um, you know being wiped out. Or you oh. might say uh, Indaraset. Indaraset. Mm. It means it's, it's, it's just been wiped away. Wow. So it's said that what you're supposed to do with um, Darasa or Yadarasa uh, Dirasa is your studies will wipe away your ignorance or wipe away uh, the effects or the ruins of um, not knowing mm. something. That's oh, apparently that's supposed to be the case. But yes, we say talib al-ilm, 
or, or yatlub or talib. So, so, so I, are those verbs that you'll find in, in the Arabic dictionary, you'll, have, you'll, you'll find indarasa and tadarasa? Tadarasa, I'm not sure about that. Indarasa, you'll definitely find wow, that. Wow, that's yeah. really and, interesting. And darasa itself, you'll mm. find darasa would mean uh, the primary meaning of it is to wipe something away. Mm. Although contextually, it has you know gone on to mean studying. Mm. And we find in the Quran as well. Um, uh, okay. oh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember what exactly Maybe we'll come back to you. But, but, yeah, we'll, we'll but just, just to kind of end this episode, inshallah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of bring it to a close. Just, just before that, the, okay, the, the, the yatlub and, and talibu ilm, I believe it's not really... Uh, from the Arab culture, it's not from Ar- you know Jahili Arab co- uh, poetry or anything. It is more f- specific from an Islamic context, Interesting. where the Prophet came with the message of the Quran, the message from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, confirming the message of the previous prophets before him, and he had the same pedagogical approach mm. of. Uh, engaging the people with their mm. own intellect, with their own ways, and he gave them parables, he gave them examples, he gave them stories, and he uh, and he he went through an experiential journey with them, mm. or, or he took them on an experiential journey. So they have to seek knowledge themselves. Mm. Uh, so I think it came from uh, Islam itself, and not from uh, you know jahili poetry or something. That's really yeah. interesting. So um, I just wanted to wrap it up, inshallah, with um, just sharing an idea with you because you you, you mentioned, but why why don't you create something, yeah. um, you know, to, to help people kind of pass the Somali language onto their children? And I thought it would be really good to kind of leverage the parents' understanding mm. of the Somali language, like because a lot of people, as I said, like they speak Somali, and they want to get this Somali into their kids' brains, but mm. they they just don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's 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 strange that normally that would happen organically, yeah. like normally like yeah. in Somalia. You, you don't normally think about how you do that. Like, you use the you language. Would, you wouldn't need to and, in the oral and the, tradition. And the kids, they, they kind of pick it up. Like, yeah. that normally works. But but we need just kind of more stimulus, really. So I was thinking of an idea of, like, like a, a, like a subscription that, that parents can have where they get something, like, in the post every month and they have stimulus for having, like, Somali time with their kids. Because it, it, would, it would also kind of inspire just better family time as well, mm, which is also mm, important. Definitely. But there's loads of challenges with that, like actually creating the resources, having the knowledge to create those resources, being able to distribute them. And then also, like, you can't always predict how big Somali families are going to be yeah. as well, like how many of its resources. <laughs> MashaAllah, tabarakallah. A lot, a lot of time they have big families, isn't it? MashaAllah, Mubarak. So, um, yeah, but but that, that was kind of a, like an idea in my head for something to kind of develop a little bit, inshallah, because to start thinking about a curriculum, but not not a curriculum in the sense that people will sit down with a textbook, but a curriculum of a curriculum of like family scenarios mm-hmm. that people can incorporate into their normal family life at home. Yeah, because um, yeah, like because that way you can really. Because a lot of the time the parents they want to teach their kids. Yeah. Like the parents are invested in spending time with their kids and teaching them, but then they're not teachers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're doing other things with their lives. Like not everyone has to be a teacher. Mm. So just to kind of yeah create something like that that actually just stimulates the Somali language speaking and the active use of it from the kids in the home. Um, yeah, that's just kind of an idea that I have. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's brilliant because we we need more of these things. It's not just mm. it's not going to be uh, one size for all, obviously, and language mm. doesn't work like that. So some people will be linear learners, some people will be visual learners, some mm. people will be you know kinesthetic learners, mm. uh, and you of course have to cater for all types of things, all types of learners. Mm. And parents, their job isn't really to teach them in a formal way. Mm. Uh, they they are teachers. Parents are naturally will be teachers to their children, and that's the whole, that's the role of, of of a parent. But not I, w- I wouldn't really say teachers. They're more educators, mm-hmm. and education can happen in various different ways, mm. uh, including in an informal context and experiential way. So that's what parents would naturally do with them. And when it comes to language, especially because Somali is not something that's been formally documented or formalized, standardized, mm. uh, that oral tradition has to continue if it mm. wants to survive. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, especially at the face of um, you know a prestigious language like English, which is dominating the world now, mm. and of course the Somali language is written in English script. Mm. Yeah. So um, that itself would be something that you know I'm, I'm not sure how you'd want to uh, go about that. Mm. But when it comes to speaking, it has to be done in an active way. Yeah. And um, I don't I don't think standardizing the rules would um, necessarily help. It, it it will help some uh, to some extent. But you don't want to you don't want it to become too rigid either. Mm. And parents, when they speak to their children, they will have an organic, natural. It, it just come out of their hearts. Yeah. So you don't really need to worry about rules and things. Even if it's wrong, it'll mm. be something that's socially acceptable. Yeah. Wrong. No. Yeah, so it's kind of more. I guess I kind of more have in mind like topic and scenario based yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Really. Like, I mean. Okay. Yeah. yeah like, because as well, like, if you were to do that, if you kind of have topics, like sometimes football or something. Yeah. yeah whatever. Right. Like the, the the very first one might might be. I don't know, just language around what happened at school that day or something. But whatever, that's just something off the top or, of my or head. Or Somali tea with a bit of hair. Yeah, Somali tea with a bit of hair, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evaporated milk. Yeah, so, but, but like <laughs> when you have kind of topics rather than like grammar or anything too standard, like as I say, you get to leverage the knowledge of the parents because. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Some, because sometimes, man, like I've, I've heard people from various places of Somalia just happen to have words for things that are really like historically entrenched actually yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. Some, you know so, so sometimes like their area of somalia mm. might have used a particular it's really entrenched in there and th yeah. this goes back to what we were saying uh, towards the beginning of this uh of, of, of this chat show actually about those things that language isn't something where you just switch for another word or switch to another mm. word with the same meaning yeah. because it doesn't really have that mm. so some things are just you can't translate some a lot of things you can translate but a lot of things uh, it's not there because they have a deeper psychological, uh, uh, philosophical or historical mm. baggage with it. Mm. Whether that baggage is good or bad is something else. Now, those that affects your mindset and how you look at something, mm. how you value something. Yeah. And uh, idioms and, and uh, proverbs come into a language as well. And they, yeah. they mean something in, in mm. a deep way. Just like gheira, I think we had to we didn't even diff we had to explain what gheira is yeah, yeah. because in English you would say indignation, mm. but it's not really used that much anymore. I've never yeah. heard a human. You'll say you say <laughs> you say um, he's an indignant human being. Okay. Yeah. So, if, uh, for example, let's say let's say there's been something involved, a burglar's come in and you know held your parents hostage or something, and you just grab a gun and shoot him. Yeah. So you say he indignantly killed the burglar. Mm, okay. Yeah? So again, it's not something you use in everday speech, whereas gheira mm. is something you use every single day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Especially within within traditional contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, now, just like that that word that you're thinking of with a very historically entrenched mm. meaning, if you were to you you won't be able to just give an English word for that. You no, have to no, explain no, no. what's going on, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you then you'll be able to um, you know keep that alive. Mm. So you'll have to keep that alive in Somali. You won't be able to keep that alive in any no, other language. No, no, that's a nice place for us to wrap up. First to finish, inshallah, I'll I'll teach you an, an example okay, of um, an example of that. That's in Somali. It's not particularly for any particular area or anything, but it's something that when I learnt it, like it's so obviously entrenched in the Somali context. Yeah. So a way to say how are you, it's kind of become really common language now, but it obviously comes from like a desert nomadic environment. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, well, well, is really just like are you are you are you good? Yeah. Really, but um, but the one I'm thinking of is manabadba. So when you have this ma, something bar, it just means, is it, right? I'd say like, if I was going to ask like, is this coffee? I'd say like, maqahwa ba, like, is this coffee? But when to say, how are you? You say, manabad ba, like, is, is there peace? Is it peace? And it's, and like, like historically, it would be like, if like, a, if like a group of Somalis were approaching another camp of people living in the desert, before they'd come any closer, they'd say manabad ba, because like, like sometimes in the desert, like they've got like lions and hyenas and stuff out, out there. 
Um, they're fearless of them, by the way. You meet yeah. Somalis, they're scared of dogs, but out in Somalia, they're not scared <laughs> of lions and hyenas. It's, yeah. it's the there, there's a reason for that. You, you, you have like yeah. kids scaring them away, they're like, get away, like to the lions and stuff. Mm, mm. But anyway, so like, Manabadba, <laughs> like, when we say it means how are you, like, that's, that's, that's like, an English, that's like the English usage yeah. of that like really historically and entrenched in the Somali context little bit of language which mm. I'd really like to create resources that empower the parents to pass those things on to the kids really. Mm. Let's um, I'm sure you have really, I'm sure you have loads more interesting stuff to say <laughs> about that inshallah. Maybe we can have you, have you on the show again We'll, we'll come back another time. Yeah exactly yeah, inshallah, that'd be really good. So Jazakallah khair for coming on the show. Um, yeah, I really really appreciate that bro. I've, I know I've taken a bit of your time today but um, no problem, but also just for the other people who are um, who are watching, this will probably go out on Sunday. So it's probably Sunday today when you guys are watching this. Um, there's a video that we would have put out yesterday and a little bit of Somali poetry that myself and brother Shaheen al-Rahman Somali will, poetry? No sorry, Arabic poetry. Gosh, we're well, just talking about Somali. I'll get you to, <laughs> get you to teach. And Shaheen al-Rahman, Somali poetry. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we'll sign out. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Have a good day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.